Good morning. I uh, thank you. You guys are a little more alert now. That's good. I got to tell you, this has been a fun-filled weekend for uh, me personally. I was blessed with an incredible conversation with a pastor and dear friend of mine who uh, randomly reached out to me. It was kind of a kind of a blast from the past kind of moment uh, this week as he texted me, and uh, we talked for a few moments. And then yesterday we had a lengthy conversation about times gone by and ministry and life and. Uh, I got to tell you, I say all this to, to say this moment, if, if you don't have someone speaking into your life, uh, speaking scripture over your life and encouraging you uh, with the word of God, then I kind of encourage you to find that person, whether it's someone who's your age, someone who may be a colleague, a friend, a family member. Uh, man, we are just in a time where we desperately need the word of God being spoken back over us. And so yesterday, uh, my family was hard at work on a task that I had originally started, and then I abandoned them on that assignment to have this conversation. Uh, but uh, by God's grace, it was just a very encouraging and edifying time. So here we are back in the Word of God this Sunday morning, still walking through our study through Second Timothy this morning in our series called Letters from the Pastor. And so today, uh, you'll probably notice is going to be just a little bit different as we are going to be focusing on really the tension that we begin to see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, particularly a tension that comes with a life that is separated from the gospel. Now, many people at this point would probably ask the question, why are we focusing on such a topic today? Well, as we will see from Paul's on words, we are going to see first that it is very possible to live a life apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, Paul's going to show us that if we as believers in Christ are not paying attention to our own lives, then we too can find ourselves living separately from the call of the gospel. Now again, I'm not saying this morning that it is possible to lose salvation. That is not at all what Paul is going to be talking about. But we do have to realize that as believers in Christ, it is possible that we can walk away from what it is that we are called to according to the word of God as a body of believers. And so this should be something that's important to us to think upon and to reflect upon as we think about our own lives, even as adults in the room. You see, we need to realize that as Christians, there are other Christians looking to us as the example for the purposes of encouragement or even the purposes of edification. In fact, there are, there are other younger ones amongst us who are watching us as we pray. They are watching us as we sing. They are watching us as we worship. And so as believers in Christ, as adults, we are the ones who are called upon to set the example for others to follow because you will see that there is power in being the example. Now, you need to look no further than your own lives and think back to uh, your days as a child. I remember growing up being a huge baseball fan and being in a neighborhood where me and all my neighbors uh, played baseball year round. It would be common for us to get together in our own backyards and play baseball ourselves. In fact, it became such a big deal that one of our parents let us turn their backyard into our own wiffle ball baseball park. And so we played there every day that we didn't have baseball. But what was interesting was how each of us would copy or mimic whoever it was that was our, our favorite athlete or hero at the time. 
Now, I'm sure many of you, when you think back to your own childhood, can probably think of examples of people that you imitated in life. In fact, our kids today, as we watch them, we see that they imitate superheroes. They, they imitate their favorite celebrities or their favorite athletes or whatever it is they're interested in. When our children turn into teenagers, if we're paying attention, we'll quickly see that our teens generally follow the popular trends or interests according to pop culture. And even as adults, as we move from our teenage years into young adult life, and then as we get older in adult lives, even as pastors and leaders and teachers, we find ourselves listening to more and more popular pastors who faithfully proclaim the word of God. And so as we teach, we often can have a desire to imitate either their style or their life or even their teaching. You see, the reality is there is nothing more powerful than the spoken word. However, closely connected to the spoken word is the persuasive power of example. You see, as believers in Christ, we need to look no further than the greatest example that we have. It's found in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus was able to do both. His teaching explained his life, and his life exemplified his teaching. You see, it was Jesus who gave us both word and example. So as we get ready to jump into our text, we now have to ask the question, why is this so important to us? Or what does this particular topic have to do with a life separated from the gospel? Well, as again, as believers in Christ, it is imperative that we know who it is that we are following, you see, there are ungodly men and women among us, and there are also godly men and women among us. And these godly men and women are examples that we should follow. But as we're going to see in our text, there are also going to be ungodly examples, and those are people and examples that we should avoid. So again, what I want to do is look this morning at what it means to live a life separated from the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, then I hope you do. I would encourage you to turn with me now in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We will begin reading in verse 1. And once you have found your place and you can and you're able, I would invite you now to stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Now again, this is Paul writing to Timothy, writing a very personal letter to Timothy. Timothy, a pastor of the church at Ephesus, and Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people." For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jannies and Jamborees opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith but they will not get very far. 
for their folly will be plain to all as was that of those two men. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now thanking you today for your word. We thank you for your truth and for the opportunity that we have now to just spend these next few moments together talking about your word. Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we've already had to worship you in song, to worship you in prayer, to worship you through the reading of the scriptures. And now, Father, we pray that you'd prepare our hearts and minds as we prepare to worship you through the study of your word. Father, search our hearts and know us. Test our anxious thoughts. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And through our time in the word, may you and you alone be glorified. Father, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for this time. And Father, we ask that you would continue to move. For it's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, as you're looking through chapter 3, we'll see that 2 Timothy chapter 3 actually gives us examples of both godly and ungodly leaders. Now, if we were to actually read chapter 3 in its entirety, we could probably compare and contrast the differences between an ungodly leader and the characteristics of an ungodly leader versus the characteristics and qualities of one that is godly. However, for our purposes today, we are going to simply focus on the example of the ungodly leader so that we can spend time wrestling in the tension of an ungodly leader and to be able to take the time to do some self-reflection and perhaps even some self-examination within our own lives. So when we look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we see that Paul takes us into the moral sewer. You see, in just three verses, in verses 2 through 4, Paul is going to speak to 19 different sins found among the ungodly examples. Paul will, in this passage, discuss the emptiness of a godless religion, the corrupt nature of false teachers, and the evil method the false teachers are using or teaching in order to lead people away from Jesus Christ and away from the local church in Ephesus. And then through it all, Paul is going to give us a very clear charge. He says it when he says, avoid these people. Now again, in hearing these words, let's not forget what Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. You see, we see in that passage that Paul actually holds out hope that some of these opponents will actually come to repentance and come to the knowledge of the truth and knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. However, in our text, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we are going to now see that some of these same people will never arrive at the truth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. And so Paul gives us the word avoid. Basically what Paul is telling us is to completely break fellowship with them. Now please pay attention to what Paul is saying and don't misquote him or mishear what he's writing. This is not Paul telling us to avoid contact with unbelievers. Rather, Paul is speaking to individuals here that are actually recognized within the church. In other words, this group that Paul is speaking of today were the leaders in the church. 
They could have been deacons in the church or teachers in the church or dare I even say elders within the church. And these people, because of their leadership, their history, their longevity, they were beginning to wreck the lives of other believers within the church at Ephesus. You see, as a church today, in reading Paul's words, we have a biblical responsibility to guard the flock against wolves and to avoid the example of the ungodly. So our text for us today is actually very practical for us to think about. You see, as we walk through our text, I hope that we're constantly asking ourselves the question, what kind of person are you? Or better yet, what kind of person are you becoming? You see, the answer to these questions will be found in who it is that we are following. So again, let's look at the example of the ungodly. Let's look at what it looks like to live a life separated from the gospel. Paul begins in verse 1 by opening his passage with saying, but understand this, that in the, day, the last days there will come times of difficulty. Now, these last days spoken of are not the end times. Rather, these days began at Pentecost and will continue until Christ's second coming. So for us today, it is safe for us to say that we have been and we are still living in the last days. The old age began to pass away when Jesus Christ arrived on this earth, thus bringing in the new age and therefore ushering in what can best be defined as the last days. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy about something that would eventually happen in the future, but rather something that was happening in the present. And so instead of being overly optimistic, Paul tells Timothy these words. He says, understand this. And then what Paul will do is he will tell Timothy that his battles with false teachers, his battles with critics, his battles with physical hardships, and his battles with suffering will continue for the remainder of his life and should not come as a surprise to Timothy. You see, here is the reality of living in a fallen world. As we await the final act of the redemptive drama, which is the return of Christ Jesus, we need to recognize Paul's words when he says that we will have times of difficulty. If you don't believe those words now, then can I ask you, where have you been the past nine months? We have been living in times of difficulty. But Paul is not just speaking of pandemics. Paul then addresses the fact that there will be dangers. There will be storms. There will be stressful times where in those moments as believers in Christ, we must learn to rely on the grace of God in order to be able to endure. But then notice what Paul does. In speaking of the times of difficulty, we now can ask the question, well, what is the problem in these last days? What is, the, what is the one problem that is leading to all of these difficult times? Well, Paul actually answers that question in verse 2. It's the second word in the ESV in verse 2. It's the word people. 
You see, if you're one of those folks who underlines in your Bible or circles in your Bible, you can ask the question, what is the problem? Your answer is found in verse two. It is the people. People can and will continue to be the problem. You see, they are going to be sinful people who live corrupt lives. And those people in the midst of their sin will create difficult times. Some of these people will infiltrate the church and they will pose as teachers and these teachers will come in with the purpose of leading people astray. So Paul is gonna get more into this as we jump into our text, but now Paul is gonna turn his attention to the characteristics of sinful humanity, in particular, the qualities of these false teachers. So for the rest of our text, let's look at the three characteristics of a life that is separated from the gospel. The first characteristic being this, a life that is separated from the gospel is a life that is self-centered. We see this in verses two through four. You see, our simple truth as we read this particular passage is that self-centered people have a misdirected love. In other words, their love is not focused on the main thing, which is Jesus Christ being both Savior and Lord. But now notice what Paul does here. Notice the descriptions of these self-centered people with a misdirected love. He says of them in verse 2 that they are lovers of self, lovers of money. He calls them heartless and not loving good in verse 3. And then he says of them that they are lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God in verse 4. Now notice what Paul does here. Paul actually brackets this passage with statements of love. So as we read these verses, we can now summarize, according to Paul, that these evil leaders loved and worshipped something that was not God. You see, the reality for all of us today is this. We all worship something. We all worship someone. By God's grace, my prayer is that it is the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of us worship our jobs. Some of us worship our families. Some of us live vicariously through our children and we worship them through their sports. You see, we need to pay attention here because our lives are an overflow of whatever it is that we love supremely. Now, coming back to our text, Paul's gonna make a note of three inordinate loves of these particular leaders. He tells us that they are narcissistic. In other words, they are lovers of self. He tells us that they are materialistic. In other words, they are lovers of money. And then he tells us that they are hedonistic, meaning they are lovers of pleasure. You see, each of these things in excess will lead people not to love that which is good. Now, Paul has already actually addressed these issues back in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but again, here he is writing to Timothy, writing to the church at Ephesus, and he's walking us through yet another list of things that we need to avoid. Now, each of these characteristics, we could go into uh, really defining each of these characteristics, but for the sake of time, we're not gonna do that today. But what we can know is that each of these characteristics will fit into any of the contemporary terms that we have already used. So in reading this passage, we need to pay attention to what Paul is saying. Paul is teaching Timothy, when love of God is replaced with other loves, all sorts of sins and vices will soon follow. 
In fact, many commentaries that you read today about this particular passage will teach that every moral failure is due to one of these three particular traps. If you don't believe me, go home this afternoon and turn on the television. Do yourself a favor, something you haven't done in a while, and watch a commercial. You will notice that even our television commercials today are aimed at one of these three temptations in order to get us to purchase whatever it is that they are selling. But then pay attention now, coming back to our text, the Paul's words. You see, in verse 4, Paul takes us back to the fact that we are to be lovers of God. In other words, we need to make sure that our lives overflow with the love of God in order to avoid these temptations. Many would ask, well, how do we fight these temptations? How do we, how do we fight this, this hedonism and the materialism? How do, we, how do we battle these things? Well, simply put, in reading the word of God, we then arm ourselves with humility and integrity and generosity. You see, by focusing on the supreme love of God. By loving God first above all things, we are now in agreement with Psalm 73, verse 25, where the psalmist writes, whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You see, godliness, fighting temptation, must first begin with adoration for God. And so today as believers, we have to ask ourselves in our own lives, maybe even in this past week, what has been our greatest love? You see, when we are satisfied in Christ alone, in that moment, we will find ourselves armed with the godly virtues to help us fight the temptations that will appear in our life. Now, again, in looking at these verses, not only do we see that the self-centered person has a mis is misdirected in their love, but we also then see that they are uh, corrupt in their relationships. In fact, going back to verse two, Paul tells us that they are abusive, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. Now, here are sins that we see in our culture every day. In fact, if I could point back to television, I'm not saying TV is bad. However, notice our television shows that we watch and how they glorify sins, particularly those television shows that show parents as completely being clueless to what is happening in the family. And thus you see children disobeying and disrespecting their parents. What are we teaching our kids by what we watch? Paul goes on further into this in verses three and four, and he speaks more to relational sins. He says that these people are unappeasable, slanderous, brutal, and treacherous. In other words, these sins will cause people to be heartless. It will cause them to be unforgiving. You see, a failure to love others can and will lead to brutality, backbiting, and attacks on one another over issues that truly do not matter. You see, this list that Paul gives us reveals to us that the ungodly's failure, uh, their, their failure is this, to, they simply are failing to obey the two greatest commands. They neither love God, nor do they love people. You see, here's the truth that we need to realize from our passage today. Sin can and will separate us from God. 
Sin can and will separate us from others. And so now we have to ask ourselves, who do we love? Do we love God? Do we love those around us? Or do we simply love ourselves? Are we so self-centered that we are missing what God is doing all over the world? The answer to those questions will determine where our heart is. Our second characteristic that we see is that lives separated from the gospel will make religion a show. We see this in verse five. Now, as if self-centeredness wasn't enough for Paul, Paul now takes this thing a whole step further and tells us that the people were doing things that very well may be religious. Paul says of them, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. In other words, they appear to be godly, but their lives are not pleasing to God. They may show up for church, but they are morally corrupt and they show up for church to worship, knowing that the only reason why they are there is to bring others down. You see, these ungodly people have made religion a show, and therefore they are spiritually powerless. Their acts are full of empty form, full of empty talk, and full of empty sacrifices. And so Paul now calls Timothy to avoid these people because they have no substance. So not only do they lack spiritual power, they've taken it a step further and they have actually denied it. You see, these godless people refuse to believe the truth that is found in the power of the gospel. They refuse to embrace Christ Jesus as Lord and therefore they even go as far as to denying his power and yet they sit in our churches every Sunday. Again, Paul is not talking about the outside world here. He's talking about those who are already in the church. He's talking about those who have gone to church their entire lives. Those who may even hold an office or a position within the church. And yet, they do not possess any spiritual life. They are simply going through the motions. And so Paul is telling us that this should not surprise us at all. We should not be surprised by the fact that folks like this sit within our midst. We've actually seen this throughout the Bible. If I could give you two examples, one from the Old Testament, one from the New. In Isaiah chapter one, we see that God commands Isaiah to rebuke the people of Judah because they had feast, prayers, and worship, but they were not doing good. They were not seeking justice. They were not defending the fatherless, nor were they pleading for the widow. And so by the time we get to verse 15, God says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. We fast forward to the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 23, we see Jesus in this moment reserving his most intense words for religious leaders. 
In verse 28, he says, So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now, if you read this in its context, in Matthew chapter 23, you'll see that Jesus here is speaking to the religious leaders. In fact, in this conversation, he calls them hypocrites seven times, fools once, blind five times, and then he refers to them as snakes or as a brood of vipers at least once. So as we think about our own lives, as we think about these words from Paul to Timothy, as we see the examples in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, these passages should serve as a warning to all of us who are engaged in religious activity. You see, Jesus is merciful to those who are a mess to those who realize they are wretched sinners in need of a savior and they admit that he is needed in their lives. But for those who simply come in and go through the motions and put on a show, we see that both in the Old Testament and the New, God rebukes them. And so here is the warning. The warning is as believers in Christ, we need to examine our own lives. When we come to church, are we playing the role of hypocrite? Are we here to make much of God or are we simply here to put on a show? You see, we may be able to fool others around us, but God knows the heart and he will know our intent. And the reality is in the end, all of us will stand in judgment before God alone. So what is our intent today? This then leads to our third characteristic of a life separated from the gospel. You see, lives that are separated from the gospel will attempt to win others to wickedness. We see this in verses six through nine. Now, Paul in this passage tells us that certain people would not only be self-centered and they would also come into the church and put on a show, but he also tells us that these people will then come in and try to win converts to their version of a wicked religion. Now, let's pay attention to these verses in verses six through nine because we're now gonna see their tactics, we're gonna see their victims, and at the same time, we're gonna see their mental corruption. So the first thing we're gonna take a look at is the tactics of the ungodly. We see in verse six that they creep into households. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy that their methods are not out in the open, that what they do, they do in secret, and what they do, they do like someone sneaking around as if they were the devil himself. These are people who don't simply want to just talk to people, rather they are seeking to capture their own victims with their word and then lure them away from the truth of the word of God. Now, I love what John Stott says about this particular word, capture. He says it literally means to take prisoner in war. In other words, these people seeking to win others to wickedness are not simply out to win. Rather, they are seeking to win by imprisoning people with their actions and their words. But then pay attention to their tactics again. Notice the word households here. 
Now again, in saying this word household, we're not simply talking about any home. Rather, when you look at it in the Greek, it literally translates to the home. In other words, this could mean one of two things. This could mean that they were trying to win over the people who were wealthy and they had the spacious home and that was where the church was meeting. So if they won that family over or that particular person over, they could now stop the church from meeting. At the same time, it could also mean that they were seeking to win the entire family. It wasn't enough to simply win mom. It wasn't enough to simply win dad or the children. They were seeking to capture everyone. So again, let's look closely at verse six. For these ungodly people, it's not enough to simply try to bring a leader down. They are seeking to bring down the entire church. So as believers in Christ, as a gathered body of believers that make up the church, we need to be careful here because when we find ourselves in conversations talking negatively or poorly about our church leaders and about members of our church, then we are now like these evil people who are attempting to bring down the church. You see, here's the reality about the church. And we often forget this. The church is the people. And so when we attack the church, we are attacking the people created in the image of God. So now we're seeing their tactics. But now let's look at their victims. You see, these false teachers went, and according to verse six and seven, they went after weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of truth. Now again, before the, the women in the room get upset with me, Paul is not using this passage to describe all women. Rather, he's referring to those who are still childish in faith. They are immature in faith, and therefore they are weak. Because of their unclean conscience and their continuation in sin, they were now open to anyone and everyone and what it was they were teaching. And so these false teachers came along and preyed upon these women. They preyed upon them intellectually, emotionally, and preyed upon their moral weakness. You see, these women would listen to anything or anyone because according to verse 7, they were never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Again, this should not surprise us today. You see, preying on women is a timeless tactic by false teachers. Historically, we see that these false teachers would wait for the strong biblical men of the home to either leave for war or leave for work or leave to run errands. And then that's when they would come in door to door as commercial travelers seeking to sell a religion that was false. I'm just curious, does that sound vaguely familiar to what is happening today? If I couldn't be more obvious, let me ask this question. Who is knocking on your door in the middle of the day? And yet, sadly, here's the difference. The difference today is this. We don't have enough strong men leading their families. 
We don't have enough strong men being the spiritual leaders that God has called them to be. We need to realize not only the tactic and we need to realize and see the victim, but thirdly, we now need to see the ungodly in their mental corruption. Now, again, you look at verse eight here. Paul gives us the example of these false teachers and their mental corruption as he alludes to Jannies and Jambres um, who are not mentioned by name in the Bible, but other sources point these men out as the sorcerers who opposed Moses back with Pharaoh in Exodus chapter seven. And so just as these false teachers opposed Moses, we know that people will oppose Paul and Timothy and they will oppose us today. But notice what Paul says of them. He says that such men are corrupted in mind. They are mentally warped and therefore they are disqualified regarding the faith. Now notice this. Notice that Paul in these passages keeps coming back to the issue of truth in this particular section. He refers to the knowledge of truth in verse 7. He he refers to resisting the truth in verse 8 and the lack of understanding in verse 9. In other words, Paul is telling Timothy, and these are words that we need to hear today, that we are in the midst of a war on capital T truth. And so as sinners today, many will often drift along the winds of doctrine especially when that doctrine is new or when it's flashy or when it's catchy. And so as believers in Christ, we have to guard the truth and we have to be willing to pass on the truth. You see, the current need of the church today is not more stuff. The current need of the church today is not more buildings. Now again, I want to say I am thankful by God's grace that we have what it is that we have. And when I say that, I'm speaking to the fact that we live in a nation where we can freely gather as believers in Christ. Especially when so many in the world do not share that luxury. But again, I want to say to you today, we we don't need more stuff. We don't need a fifth building or a sixth building or a seventh building. This is not the movie Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come. That is not the case. Rather, what Paul is telling Timothy and telling us today is that we now need an army who by God's grace will faithfully and boldly preach the word of God. They will faithfully and boldly teach the word of God because they recognize that eternity is at stake. And so then we get to verse nine. And here's the beauty of verse nine. Paul, in the midst of talking about these corrupt teachers and how they abound in in laying this out for Timothy in terms of what to look for in these false teachers and really just painting a very bleak and depressing picture of what's gonna happen. Notice what Paul does here in verse nine. He teaches us that Christianity will not collapse. You see, he tells Timothy that these false teachers, they will not get very far for their folly will be plain to all. You see, he's telling Timothy and us today that we need to realize that no one can and no one will ever match the awesome power of God. You see, these false teachers of Ephesus, they were not gonna make any further progress. They may win a few battles, but they're not winning the war. It's the same for us today. 
We are gonna see false teachers in our day. We are seeing false teachers in our day. And the reality is they may win some battles, but again, they will not win the war. Paul teaches us that their error will be exposed and God alone will preserve his truth. In other words, in the end, God wins. You see, like Timothy, as believers in Christ, though these false teachers may have initial success, we as believers today must continue to rest in the promises of God. We must continue the call to keep teaching his truth in spite of the opposition and in spite of the false religious systems that are all around us. But pay careful attention today to what Paul is warning us of. He says of these people, these people within our church, these wolves who sit among us, he says, let's avoid these men. Let's avoid their foolish controversies. Let's avoid their practices. And so today we need to check ourselves. Today we need to do some self-examination so that we can avoid self-centered lives with loves that are misdirected and relationships that are corrupt. We need to check ourselves so that we can avoid religious forms that are lacking the power of Christ according to the word of God. We need to check ourselves so that we can avoid the evil tactics of the false teachers so that we are not won over to their wickedness. You see, the word of God tells us that there's a better way. There is a way that has been paved by Christ Jesus our Lord. So if we're gonna look at any example today, if we're going to follow any example, then let us look to him. Let us look to his word. Let us look to Christ Jesus and the example that he has set so that we are not found in a life separated from the gospel. Let's pray together.